And the church said? Amen. Amen. You know, I was just thinking uh, about how the Lord gives us opportunity to reach out to our uh, community and the way that uh, in, our, in our world. So thankful that Bethesda is a place who really does want to reach out. The Lord provides his opportunities by what happened last night, what we did at the health fiesta, and then this opportunity to reach children of other parts of the world by just extending the, the love of Jesus to them. Aren't you glad to be a part of that? Isn't that a wonderful thing to be able to do? So anyway, um, I have a question for you this morning, okay? How many of you know that who we are and who we think we are is not always the same thing? Let me see your hand if you know. Who we are and who we think we are is not always the same thing. Now, I began being told here a few weeks ago or months ago that they were going to be get these lovely new cameras here in the sanctuary that we have. And I voted no, um, but uh, because they said, you'll be up on these screens. And, they could, and I said, I really have, I have a problem with that because what happens in glorious HD, I find out that the way I think I look is not the way I really look. How many know what I'm talking about? And I, you know what? I asked them, I said, I be sure when you order the cameras, get those younger and thinner cameras. That's the ones we want. But that did not seem to happen. You just get no respect anymore. You know what I'm saying? They did not get the younger and thinner cameras. And so that was, um, that was a problem for me. Because who we are and who we think we are is not always the same thing. Becky was in the den the other night browsing through Facebook, and I was in my office at the house, and I heard this big noise, this big yelp come out of her mouth, and I had no idea what it was as she was scrolling through Facebook, and apparently there had been a class reunion of her graduating class up in Iowa, and she was looking through the pictures, and I walked in, and I said, what? What's wrong? She said, look at these people. They look so old. <laughs> I said, well, who are they? She goes, there's the people I graduated from high school with. And then she asked me that dangerous question, do I look like these people? <laughs> and of course I said, of course not, sweetheart. You look much better than all of those people. Of course, in her case, she really does look better than they do. Did I say that right? That's the way I was supposed to say it, right? <laughs> who we are and who we think we are is not always the same thing. And you know what, church, it's true that the longer we walk with Jesus, the more he will reveal to you about who you really are, even as he reveals to you who he really is. And the majesty of that revelation is that you can trust him as he's taking you from glory to glory and from grace to grace, even as he is maturing you or maturing me in that process. I don't particularly like it when the Lord exposes things about me, to me, about myself to me, when my reactions to life situations are less than what you would expect of a pastor, less than even what you would expect of a Christian. Just like a couple of nights ago when Becky had purchased a, box, a custom box of C's candies, and I got so excited when I saw that. And usually we have a little, you know, it's a favorite of ours, and we, you know, we get a custom box, and usually this half is mine, this half is hers. And so, but she had purchased a custom box, and I saw it sitting there, and I, you know, and my heart leapt within me. This is great. And I went, and I opened the box, and the whole box was full of her favorites, save one spot. One. 
And, um, all, and I looked at her, and I said, I, well, what's up with this? She said, well, by the time I got all the pieces in it that I needed, there was only one spot left for you. Sorry. <laughs> and my reaction was, uh, was less than wonderful. Can we just say that? It was not very pastoral at that moment. And I don't know about you, church, but it's very easy for me to be often overwhelmingly disappointed when I see who I, who I really am as revealed by my actions and reactions. However, even in those moments when I've disappointed others and certainly disappointed myself, I am so thankful that I can cling to the verse from Deuteronomy that says, but God is my refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. I know it's your testimony, too, of how often you have been thankful that underneath are the everlasting arms, and he catches us, and he helps us. I'm asking you to turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 13, as I present something to you that I've discovered in the Word that has been an incredible encouragement to my own heart. This past Friday afternoon, I was at the facility where my mother-in-law is receiving care at the moment in a semi-private room, and though... The other bed in the room had been, had been empty for several days. They rolled in a lady who was obviously being assigned to this bed for now in the same room where my mother-in-law is, and, and I was saying hello and greeting them. And, and with her, with this lady, came someone that I assumed to be her daughter who was helping her. And then that lady seemed to have, uh, she had someone that I appeared to be her granddaughter So I, we, that was about four years old, I would guess. And... Um, so we have the great-grandmother coming into the facility and her daughter, who's probably the granddaughter, the grandmother to this, this little girl. The little girl was full of life, and she was just adorable, and she did something that took me back to when our children were, were young and were small. She seemed to have a million questions. How many of you remember raising a four-year-old who asked questions from morning till night? That's exactly what it was like. And this little girl was not afraid or shy about asking all of them. And she, I don't know how she thought of that many things to ask, but it was just constant, constant. Nana, why does the bed look so funny? Nana, who is that funny man over there pointing to me? Nana, why aren't there very many channels on the TV? There was only, you know, and I, I want to say, sweetheart, when I was a kid, there were only three channels, and they all signed off at midnight with the national anthem. How many remember what I'm talking about? Come on, you remember that. Don't make me feel so old. And she was asking, why this? Where's that? How's great-grandma going to do this? And, and, of course, one question after another, and then she came to the all-important question, which is this, when do we get ice cream? That's the most important question. And I remember how annoying those childlike questions can be because they just seem relentless, and nevertheless, they're very important to the child. And wise is the parent or the grandparent who will take time to patiently answer all of those questions. And that was certainly example for us by the Lord Jesus in this chapter that we're going to look at, chapter 13, actually chapters 13 and, and 14. For in these chapters, you have the disciples, just like little children, asking relentless questions. In these two chapters, we're going to find four questions, at least, that the disciples were asking. First, Simon Peter's asking in, uh, in chapter 13, verse 36. He says, Lord, where are you going? And then if you look down in chapter 14 and at verse 5, it's Thomas who says, Lord, we have no idea where you're going, and so how can we even know the way? And in verse 8, Philip asks a question. He says, Lord, can you show us the Father, and we will be satisfied? 
And then when you go down to chapter 14 and verse 22, the Bible says this, that Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, why are you going, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not to the world at large? So question after question after question. And one of the things that catches my attention about these four questions when you read the text over and over is that every time they ask him something, they prefaced it by calling him Lord. And I love that. Because when they declare that he is Lord, it is absolutely putting in place their understanding of his right to rule and reign. They have a clear understanding of the authority that he has, his authority in their life. When Charles and Ramona Crabtree were here this last week, I had the privilege of hosting them. And during one of our times together, I I had the chance to be the one asking questions. I was asking many questions of them. One of the things I asked was this. I said, You know, you folks were considered to be very successful pastors and church leaders before your retirement, and and, and now today you're still traveling and ministering all over the country, which, which gives you a distinctive vantage point on the church. And so I I really want to know, based upon your history and your journey and your observations of today, what do you think are the differences in in pastoring today from the day when you were pastoring? Obviously, I'm very curious at how they would answer that. I'm talking to seasoned people and people who had been successful in ministry. What's the difference in what it was like in your day and, and how it is today? And Brother Charles gave some words of wisdom and keen observation. And um, then his wife spoke, and I was quite struck by the comments of Ramona because she was, had no hesitation in her response. She kind of looked wistfully away for a moment, and then she said, you know, Dan, when we were pastoring, there seemed to be a certain humility in the congregation, which included respect for authority and a belief or a confidence in leadership. And then she went on to say, she said, you simply put, the people believed the pastor. But then she quickly added that which is so true. She said, but there has come such a disillusion of trust in leadership due to the moral and ethical failures of so many that it becomes increasingly difficult for people to trust or believe in leadership or authority. And I thought she was absolutely right because we are living in a completely different day. And that is an example for us not only in the church but all over our country today. But how many know there's a difference between having position and having authority. Those are two completely different things. There are many people who have position who who do not possess authority. You can have a position but have a situation where no one respects you nor do they really want to follow you. You want to know who a a true leader is, look and see if anyone's following them. If If someone's following them, they are a leader. And though those who are following you may say, you know, by I understand by virtue of your position and the fact that we don't want to get fired, we have to listen to you, but, but, they don't, but you don't really have the authority. You may have position, but no authority. Authority is something completely different. Authority can come without a title. It can come without something in front of your name. Authority can come without being called supervisor. And those who have real authority are never afraid to be asked questions. It's usually those who have simply position without authority who become intimidated when they are asked questions. They're afraid that you're challenging them or they're afraid that you're coming against them or they're afraid that you are not agreeing with them or they're trying to measure how much difficulty you are bringing to the situation by, by questioning them. And questions can easily expose the difference in those who have position 
as opposed to those who have true authority. So in these chapters, here is the Lord of all the universe who in no way is challenged by any question that the disciples are asking. And so Jesus, who has all authority, answers them without ever saying anything like, well, you shouldn't be asking me that. No, never intimidated by, by that because he has all authority. But instead, he answers all four of the questions. And what is also interesting to note in reading the text is this, that with all four of the responses, he would say, include something like this, you know, in verse 7, in verse 4, you know, verse 7, he says, you know, Verse 17, he says, you know, every time he answers the question, he says, you already know the answer. You've just not taken the time to realize that I've been giving you the answer all along. And sometimes I wonder if that's not true for us. The things that we are looking at and the things that we are considering, even asking, the Lord is saying, you know because I've exampled that for you. You know because I've given that to you in my word. And though even when he was saying that to them, it wasn't necessarily a rebuke, it was simply a challenge for them to come to realize just how important the subject matter is. I want us to look at really just the first of the four questions that was asked by Jesus that I've referenced already this morning. It was asked by Peter in chapter 13, if you'll look at verse 36, and here is what he said. John 13, 36, Simon Peter asked, Lord... Where are you going? And Jesus replied, You can't go with me now, but you will follow me later. But why can't I come now, Lord? He asked. And Peter says, Because I'm ready to die for you. And Jesus answered, Die for me? I tell you the truth, Peter. And some versions have it this way, Verily, verily, I say, or, or, or truly, truly, I say to you. And let's just understand this. Anytime you see that in the Bible when Jesus is, uses double words, and he says truly, truly, or verily, verily, you're about to get slam dunk. That's basically what's going to happen. And that's what happens here. Jesus answered, die for me? I tell you the truth, Peter. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times. You will deny three times that you even know me. So right after Peter's bragging about what he's willing to do for the Lord and making such incredibly bold and if not outrageous statements, what he's willing to do that he would die for him, Jesus not only sort of cuts him off with that, but he also, Jesus is prophesying about what is going to take place. But something happens right here that is so worth noting today and should offer some encouragement for all of us because, and here's what I want to say to you today, two things happen right here. Number one, Jesus was essentially saying to Peter, Peter, this is who you really are. And he was also saying, number two, and Peter, this is who I really am. And I reiterate my question to you that I started with this morning and I ask you this, how many of us know that who we are and who we think we are, are not always the same thing. Have you ever noticed in life that people who brag and boast usually don't have the goods to back it up? Anyone who ever tells you that they are the greatest singer is probably not the person you should ask to sing a solo. Remember that, Pastor Brent, okay? How many of you remember ever watching American Idol when it was kind of in its heyday in the, in the first round of auditions? Wasn't it shocking to see the people who thought they could sing? You may remember seeing that? 
all these people would come on and you would go, oh my goodness, maybe they, they think they could sing, but you just kind of want to sit there and go, bless your heart, bless your heart. <laughs> One more reference to the crab trees, and that is this. I had, she was telling me last week she had, a, she had a great line that she used. You need to remember this. Had a great line that she used when people came to her wanting to be her next soloist, when she was always had in charge of the music of the churches that her husband was pastoring. And, and after they would audition for her, she would say, you know, I think I like you best in a group. which was a polite and diplomatic way of saying, I think I like you best in a situation where I can't really hear you, essentially is what she's saying. It made me think about Jack Tebow when he was in the choir. <clears throat> oh, poor Jack. Jack is wonderful if you put him in a group. You need to put Jack in a group. That's the way he does best. People who brag about what they can do don't typically have the goods to back it up. I love the way Spurgeon said it. He said, it's the empty truck that makes the most noise. Going down the streets of Fort Worth, the truck that makes the most noise has nothing in it. And that's essentially what Jesus was saying to Peter here. He says, Peter, I hear what you're saying. I know what you're boasting about. But here is who you really are. It's Peter's saying, I'll never, Lord, I'll never forsake you. I'll always follow you. I'll, I'll lay down my life for you. And Jesus says, but this is who you really are. When you're thrown in the fire and when the test really comes and the squeeze is placed upon you, you're going to deny me three times even before the morning comes and the rooster crows. Peter, you're boasting about something you cannot deliver. And it's worth noting that no boasting ever came from John. No boasting ever came from Mary, and yet they're the ones who did go all the way to the cross for Jesus. They just simply kept their mouth shut and followed him all the way. But the one who was the most vocal was the one speaking things that simply were not true. And we certainly know the rest of the story. There were three denials, and it all happened just like Jesus said it would. But before it happened, Christ was saying to Peter, buddy, that all sounds great. That sounds very spiritual. It sounds very righteous. But this is who you really are. Are we who we think we are? Because here's what can be said about all of us. What we can believe is your behavior. Many people claim this. They may claim that. They claim they have this ability, or they have this virtue, or they are this, or they are that. But what you can believe about them is their behavior. But Bethesda, I bring you to the point of challenge this morning. At least it is for me. How often have I read this chapter and come to these last words of the chapter that we just read where Christ prophesies Peter's denial. And when the Lord is essentially telling Peter he's going to blow it. I have to tell you, I've read that like you have, and many times I've come to the end of that chapter, and I've, and I've had this quietly in my heart. I've had thoughts like this. What a lousy way to end the chapter. You know, what a bummer. 
What a, what a negative way to kind of bring all of that. How depressing for Peter. And, and what a downer to end this chapter with Jesus so graphically confronting Peter with, with who he really is. I have thought that many times as I read the chapter. Until this dawned upon me. I'm assuming that you know that when the Holy Spirit inspired the Bible and when the original documents were first given, there weren't chapters and verses. The Holy Spirit didn't say, okay, Paul, when you're writing the epistles, write this, chapter 1, verse 1, and then verse 2. No, no, that's not the way it happened. It was a letter. It was an epistle. It was, it was in a letter, a letter that was, that was written. And I know some people write long letters, and some of you wish with my emails, when I go on, you think I should break it down into chapters and verses as well. I understand that. I tend to get a little wordy with some of my emails. But that's not the way it was. It was a letter. Same thing was true with the Gospels. It was an eyewitness account, a, a, a transcription of an eyewitness account of, of what had taken place. So the numbers in your Bible weren't really put into place until around the 13th century, somewhere around 1205, by a man by the name of Stephen Langton, who was one of the archbishops of England. And obviously, they were placed in Holy Scripture just to help in the speaking of the Word, to identify a certain location, to be able to come to a certain place, much as we do in music pardon the music illustration, that we have measures and bars and bar numbers so that we can point right to this measure. This is exactly where we want to talk about in this place. Same thing with Scripture. Chapters are given, verses to pinpoint and to identify. It's simply an organizational structure. They were there to help us. And the chapter and verse divisions form what we refer to as the paratext of the Bible. The paratext, the text with the things that help us add on to addition to. But we must keep a healthy and proper understanding, church, that the chapter and verse divisions were not part of that which was given by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. They were added later. And probably like you, I've been guilty of being influenced by those divisions in, in my reading. I, I know I have. I've finished a chapter and think, okay, well, then that's the end of that day or that's the end of that circumstance or, or that's the end of that setting. So when I read the end of this 13th chapter of the Gospel of John, and I see where Jesus is letting Peter know who he really is in this kind of a downer of a moment for Peter and, and a realization moment for him, and I have this understanding about chapter and verse divisions not part of the original text, let me read it to you like this, John chapter 13. Simon Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, you can't go with me now, but you will follow me later. But why can't I come now, Lord, he asked. I'm ready to die for you, Jesus answered. Die for me? I tell you the truth, Peter. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. Oh, what a discouraging way to end the chapter. And that just doesn't somehow seem like Jesus. Why would he do that? But I want to propose to you this morning that I don't think that's where it ended. I think we have to read on. Because it starts to make sense to me that the heart of Jesus was not just to tell Peter he was going to fail miserably. Now, it's true, the Lord knows every time we're going to fail. He knows every time I'm going to fail. He knows that. And I am so thankful that I have an advocate that even when I do fail, when I do sin, I have Jesus who is there, who is the only one who can forgive me of that sin. How many of you are thankful for that today? But let's consider this passage this way, listen to me please, 
Jesus answered, die for me. I tell you the truth, Peter. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times. You will deny three times that you even know me. But let not your heart be troubled. That is not just a good verse for a funeral message, church. This is Jesus telling Peter, yes, you're going to fail. But even in the midst of your denial, you're also going to make it through because of me. You're going to make it. That ought to be an encouragement to somebody today. Because you know what, church, this means to you and me? That even when we fail, the Lord is going to help us and you're going to make it too. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Look at this. You're going to deny me three times. But let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Doesn't that sound like Jesus? Doesn't that sound like exactly what he would do? What kind of condemnation is this? You're going to deny me three times. Let's pack up and go. We're done with this chapter. No. I don't think that's the way Jesus ended it. I think Jesus was simply going, Peter, here it is. This is who you really are. You're going to boast and brag about things that are not really you. You're going to think you're something more than you really are. You're going to think you're better than you really are. It kind of reminds me of this past Mother's Day when I got the privilege of singing a trio with Pastor Brent and Gerard. I sang a trio with them on that day, and I sounded fantastic with them. Really, it was, it was wonderful. How many of you remember? Anybody remember? No, 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 no. And who wouldn't sound great singing with those two? Maybe Jack. I don't know. Possible. <laughs> Love you, Jack. But I can't be deluded into thinking that I'm that good of a singer just because I'm singing with those two. I can't be deluded to think I'm all that great because there's a difference in who we think we are and who we really are. And sometimes we think we're some kind of a big deal. All the while forgetting that the big deal that got us through the whole thing was not us. It was someone else with a capital S on someone. And it's even crazy that we think that way. It'd be kind of like the donkey on what we refer to as Palm Sunday, walking in on the great day when everyone is shouting Hosanna. And the donkey goes, wow, look at this. They think I'm wonderful. They finally recognize my greatness and I'm a wonderful donkey. Isn't this great? They're all shouting Hosanna to me. And the donkey is forgetting who's sitting on his back and that the praise is not to him, the donkey. The praise belongs only to Jesus, who's the only one worthy of praise. And so Jesus goes, Peter, this is who you are. Peter, this is who I am. I will always tell the truth. You won't always be truthful, but I will. Peter says, Lord, I'll lay down my life for you. And Jesus says, well, that's not really true, Peter, because you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. But Peter, this is what I do want you to know. Don't let your heart be troubled. And I think you could almost put in parenthesis behind this, don't let your heart be troubled about the denial because I know you're going to deny me. Church, I think the chapters are connected. If you read the message version of this first verse of chapter 14 where we know it as let not your heart be troubled, the message says it this way, don't let this throw you off. Don't let this failure throw you off. 
what you're about to do, don't let it, these denials, don't let it throw you off. Because Peter, even though you won't keep your word, I'm going to keep my word. And that is exactly in this passage this morning. You say you're willing to die for me, Peter, and yet you will deny me. And I'm saying you can trust me to be honest even when you are not. You can believe in me to be real even when you are not. For in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you because I tell the truth. I'm telling the truth about who I really am. Peter, here's who you really are. Here's who I really am. I am trustworthy, I am reliable, and I am true because I am the way, the truth, and the life. Second Timothy chapter 2 tells us this, and I find comfort in this church. Chapter 2 of 2 Timothy verse 13. If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. And here's the message that Jesus is saying in this passage. No matter what you do, I cannot deny who I am because my character is faithful even when you're not faithful. Even when you are faithless, I'm still there. Your ungodliness cannot strip me of my godness. Even when you act like a, like a, a jerk, that doesn't undo my nature and my character. And he's saying, the Lord is saying, there is nothing you can do to change me. Whatever it is that you do, lay it on your horn, put up your fist in the air, take my name in vain. Here's what the Word says. Even, church, even when we were enemies of God, God still came and died for every single one of us. When everything about our expression, when everything that we did was against the Lord, when we were His enemies, He loved us so much, He still came and died for us, even in that state. You may have even said to God, God, I don't want you. I don't want you in my life. I want to deny you. God says it still doesn't take away the fact that I love you and I want you. We might have said even as a people, don't come to this planet, Jesus. And Jesus says, I have to come because I'm committed to the redemption of this planet and I've come to set people free. So he says, Peter, you're not, you may, you're not all that great, but I am. Peter, you're, what you're about to do makes no sense, but I want you to know that I'm able to keep my word even when you can't keep your word. What you say, Peter, won't happen. What I say, Peter, will happen because I always tell the truth. That is who I am. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Can you put your hands together and bless the Lord for that today, church? Jesus knows that every one of us have frailties. He knows our frame. He knows that we are but dust. And what Jesus was saying to Peter was this, Peter, you don't lose because you fail, but you win because I keep my word, because I am trustworthy. Even when you fail, I am still there to pick you up because underneath are the everlasting arms. You know what's amazing to me about this story? That even after those three denials, even after Peter did exactly what Jesus said he was going to do, Jesus takes that man, Peter, and he places him in front of thousands of people and says, you who just failed, tell them how much you love me in Acts chapter 2. You know he stood before the crowd in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit came. You who just failed, you who just blew it, you who just messed up so bad by denying me, thinking that you were going to be all of this and you then denied me right then and there. 
That revealed the truth about your heart. You who just blew it. Guess what? You're the one I'm picking to go stand in front of thousands and tell them how much you love me. I gotta be honest with you. If Peter was on my team, I would have said, uh uh uh, no, no, no. He needs to learn his lesson. And many of you would have said the same thing. You denied me, said you didn't know me, you need a couple years of restoration, then we'll talk about it. We'll see how you do. I would not have put him in front of the crowds on the day of Pentecost. But here's what ought to encourage us today, church. Because he keeps his word, even when I'm at my worst, God says, you can still count on me to be faithful. You know what, church? We're all going to have those rooster moments. <laughs> We're going to have those moments when we fail and when we blow it. But just remember this. But don't let your heart be troubled. Peter, I keep my word. And it's not dependent upon you, it's dependent upon me and what I'm able to do. Pastor Brent, why don't you come and help me here? Everyone, please remain where you are for just the next few minutes. No more walking around. Because I want to know, who am I talking to today? Let me start by saying who I'm not talking to. Because I think this message could easily be misinterpreted. I'm not talking to someone who's looking for excuses for their disobedience to Christ. Nor am I talking to someone who's looking for license to live at any level less than the biblical mandate for holy living. I'm not talking to someone who wants to rebel in what some might refer to as, and I hate the phrase, cheap grace, which simply means that you take the ways of the Lord so lightly that when you fail and when you fall, you simply say, oh, well, whatever, God will forgive me. To take that approach means that you have absolutely no idea what the cost of your sin was for Christ. But here's who I am talking to today. And I'm going to do it this way. If this appeal reaches you, I ask you to respond by getting up from where you are and coming to this altar. The appeal of this message is to the man or the woman who feels overcome by their failures. If that's you, you're free to come. Almost trapped by it and can't seem to advance in your walk with Christ because you are daily reminded of how much you've messed up. I'm talking to the man or the woman whose heart is grieved because you know how you failed God and yet you love him and you have great desire to serve him with all of your heart. I'm talking to the person who sees the thrust of this message as that which would propel you into worship. Worship because you've had another glimpse of Jesus and his magnificence and to see him in his might and power and his trustworthiness. It's to the person who's not afraid to go before the Lord and say, Jesus, reveal to me how you see me. Let me see myself for who I truly am in your sight. And who would say, search me, O God. And know my heart today. Try me, O Savior. Know my thoughts, I pray. See if there be some wicked way in me and cleanse me from every sin and set me free. If that's you, 
The appeal is to you today. I'm talking to the person who has ever been disappointed in yourself by your actions or your reactions. In the way you've treated others or in the way you've not honored Christ with your behavior. If that's you, this appeal is to you today. To the person whose heart is so grateful for a Savior who has looked looked beyond your fault to see your need. The appeal and the call is to you today. It's to the person who is so grateful that even when we are faithless, he is faithful. And there's something within you that wants to stand to your feet and lift your hands and just give him praise and honor because he's your redeemer. That's who I'm talking to today. Would you all stand with me, please? Prayer team, if you would take your place, please. Pastor Brennan's going to lead us in a song, and as he does, if you want to come and let someone anoint you with oil and pray for you today, it may be that you've been caught in your failures. You may feel trapped by your failures. You may feel that you have so blown it with God that you don't even know what the future can hold for you. There's a clear message today that even though you may have blown it, Even though you may have denied him, he still is faithful and he still is there for you. For underneath are the everlasting arms who will catch you even in your times of failure. And he is saying to you, let not your heart be troubled. Don't let this throw you. Keep getting up, going on in your walk with Jesus. Lead us, Pastor Brent.